Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. This is Tim Staples of Catholic Answers. I'm excited to let you know that I also teach high school apologetics for homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. There are also recorded independent learning courses at homeschoolconnections.com. Whether you take apologetics with me, literature with Joseph Pierce, or philosophy with Bill Donahue, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, it's a great way to get Catholic learning for your family. Welcome to Quote Me, a weekly podcast that seeks to encourage, inspire, and lift you up to be all you were created to be. Words are powerful. Recognizing and celebrating the impact they have on our lives can comfort or challenge us, or both at once. I'm your host, Lindsay Schlegel, and I'm so glad you're here. Today, I hope we can honor the truth, beauty, and goodness of well-chosen language, and so glorify God. Let's begin. My guest today is Dominic Souza. Uh, founder of Tim Again and Smart Catholics, a dad with a small family and a smaller corgi. D- Dominic, welcome. Yeah, it's so good to be here. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. Sure. I am excited. We've got a Tolkien quote. I think this is our third Tolkien this oh, man. season. Um, <laughs> okay. But everyone has been different. Um, okay. And so this is from um, his piece on fairy stories. We have come from God, and inevitably the myths woven by us, though they contain error, will also reflect a spl- splintered fragment of the true light the eternal truth that is with God. Beautiful. Can you tell us about where you came across it and where how it's influenced you? Sure. So uh, my first love is writing novels. Ever since I was young, um, I think my mom saw that little spark and she enrolled me in an English writing course that was absolutely brutal and very formative for two years with this, this nun. It was a correspondence course in Australia. And then... Um, uh, I think when we moved here to the United States, there was this other course that I took on on writing for children's literature or something. And that's when I discovered Tolkien's article on fairy stories. And just, I loved that. And his, it, everything that he had to share about the, the, the role of being a writer or the idea of sub-creation or the, uh, the nobility that can come from and the responsibility of creating, you know, things of beauty, things that can endure and things that can explain, you know, or, or bring light into the human condition. And um, uh, ever since, uh, again, being a kid, voracious reader, reading mythology was massive. That and fantasy stories and so on. We weren't allowed to read Tolkien for like for, for years. So I was all about Narnia as a kid. And uh, Greek myths, Roman myths, Nordic myths, Japan, everything from every culture. I read all of them. And then getting older, what was so interesting to sort of look back at a lot of those crazy stories, again, seemingly crazy. They're now totally taken out of context and, and rewritten and stuff. But to begin to see, oh, this is what they're pointing to. They're, they're haunted by a proto-evangelion from you know, from the book of Genesis, right? God promising that I'm going to do something different here, right? And and then everybody going this way and that and so on. But the stories, they're, stories are like um, 
zip files of meaning. And it's that's another reason why fairy stories, like myths, they play a different role for a different time in our lives. But fairy stories are also zip files of of meaning and, and cultural, you know, uh, sharing. I think C.S. Lewis, no, Lewis Carroll called them love gifts that, that we give to children. Um, so right around that time, I'd started learning about um, uh, uh, things like the, the lives of the saints. And I was trying to grapple with how do you sort of, where do these things sit? You know, fairy stories and, and myths and then um, lives of the saints and spirituality. That's when spirituality is becoming far more serious to me in my faith journey. Um, and the more I kept digging into it, and then this uh, quote from from Tolkien, it gave me this little, this sort of anchor. Oh, here's how they fit together. Fairy stories are are fantastic for children's development, the development of identity. But then mythology is fantastic. I mean, our, our entire modern culture today is awash in a new form of the same thing, of mythology. I mean, you know, Marvel is yep. trotting out ancient stories just told anew. All of the superheroes are mythological characters working through the deep-rooted um, ideas that we value and hold true in modern culture and they're working through that you know should i be good why should i fight evil how should i respond you know uh, it almost doesn't matter the fact that there are superpowers it's like those are the same questions so many of the myths were you know going through and i began to realize oh that myths are what you provide to people um as they emerge from childhood and they're entering into adulthood they're like now i know my identity now what am i supposed to do with it do with it right yeah. And then the last phase is, is then you can bring in spirituality, um, uh, where finally I can now understand how to engage with that as a person. I, I know my identity. I have a sense of my purpose. Now I can enter more deeply into what that means to cultivate and nurture and fight for a, a union with God, with you know angels and the saints and the spiritual world and so on. So to to be able to look back at ancient history and mythology and all the storytelling, um, like I spent a year in Christendom, and that's where I grew to just love the stories told by the Greeks because they were, you know, their their plays. They're trying to make sense of these massive questions, and they didn't have the benefit of the the Hebrews. You know, maybe some of that was sort of coming over, but. But they're starting to write their plays and their stories right around the same time that um, I think Moses is doing his thing. So it's there's this this shift that is happening in the human psyche and in the human story. Um, so it it gives people who like to write and tell stories a uh, especially a freedom or a permission to to really engage with what is the story being told behind the surface, yeah. you know. What is it trying to communicate about what it means to be human and how to relate to, you know, the gods and human destiny and responsibility and, you know, all of this stuff. So um, uh, that that sense that the they all reflect a splintered fragment of the true light. It's something that was never lost. And the more I've delved into to history, um, I truly believe that the initial message and stories that were given to Adam and Eve were never truly lost. They became different. They were changed. They were maybe told wrong. But there's bits in there that are always true, that always harken back to an old story. 
And that old story is hearkening forward to the incarnation, the coming of Christ, and the you know the ultimate purpose for all of creation at all. And mythology is like, I don't know what to do with all of this, but let's see if I can make sense of this for my people and you know time and place and so on. Yes, follow <laughs> <laughs> that. That was awesome. Um, I kind of had a similar understanding like more advanced understanding of storytelling when i uh, wrote my my thesis in college i took a more contemporary approach and i looked at uh like book club books and pulitzer prize winning books two of each um from about a 10-year period all written by women i was trying to kind of narrow the variables and like why did these books end up in this category and these here and what do they do and are they both valuable like is a book club book the same does it have the same value in the literary canon as a Pulitzer Prize winning book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went into it with some with some notions and I came out with some other ideas um, that I think have really helped me as a writer and an editor too, that a good story is tr- like what you're saying is like trying to get to who we are at the core of, of being a human being. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't work faith into it the same way, but the way you're talking about it makes me want to go back and look at it again. Um, but the stories that last over time, it's not because of the setting or the place, um, you know, the, the details, or even sometimes whether or not like the characters are actually human, right? It's right, it's right. about, do you have that emotional connection, that connection of this is like what it feels like to be human. And these are the things that we deal with. And these are the things we're trying to figure out. Um, mm-hmm. And when our culture starts to stray from what those virtues and what those values are, um, I read this in another book that was not a spiritual book at all a while ago it was a book about screenwriting um it said that we can't tell stories the same way if we don't agree on values and virtues because we don't agree on what's important so that mm-hmm. idea right when you're writing a novel you need to know what's at stake mm-hmm. and if this if we can't agree on what's at stake then we can't tell the same powerful story no that's true um which i think now we're seeing a lot of stories being retold and retold um mm-hmm. And I kind of had this pessimistic view of like, well, because we're all, we can't decide on our values anymore, so we can't tell a good story. Um, but I really appreciate the way you're looking at it, that, well, we've been telling the same stories because we're still trying to figure these things out. Well, I think that, um, see, cultures are founded around core stories. Um, not just core ideas, but but core ideas that are expressed in these lived moments or these lived experiences of a story. Um, because the cool thing about, see, an idea is that we can choose to agree to it or not. Uh, we can argue with it and debate it and so on. But when you listen to a story, you enter into it, or more accurately, it enters into you. And it becomes a shared experience no matter when, you know, it is told. Um, so... In many ways, with uh, First World West, you know, maybe the United States, we're no longer connected by the same stories. Uh, we don't tell ourselves the same stories about who we are and where we're going and and why things matter. And that's for a variety of reasons. Um, I won't say whether it's good or bad. I think it's it's also a uh, side effect, a byproduct of change. You know. You have new cultures coming in. You have new values being stressed. You have new vices that are being promoted, whatever. And so we then have to look back at um, the the stories that we tell ourselves, and then try to you know popularize or see which one can go viral. Um, you know, it, does this story capture our new identity? And I think uh, just going back to Marvel and superheroes this past century, I think no other story has 
defined uh, or had as much popularity as the impact of superheroes. Now, I granted, there's they're all over the place. Some are terrible, some are awesome, some are weird, some are wonderful, whatever. The, but the core idea of a superhero is somebody standing up without any pressure from anybody else and making a choice to fight against evil. I guess you could say, oh, it's it's a resurgence of Zoroastrianism, right? It's like this ancient dualist idea of good versus evil, you know. Well, in, in a culture where the academics have said neither exist and you're just a bag of jello and the universe doesn't care, at least bringing back something like that is a step in the good direction, you know. It's like like Christians and so on. We can work with that. There's, there's a discussion yeah. that can be had with that, you know. But it's also part of the human condition. We recognize that there... It, it should sort of be that way in, you know, somehow there is this evil and good going on. Um, the big question is how do we respond to it? Which heroes, you know, really rise and they're going to be in different places around the world. They're going to, you know, be communicated and expressed differently, but that's the role of storytelling. It's, it, it communicates a, an idea, communicates a spirit and a love um, and it binds people together. Uh, it unites them around something. And over time, a new story may come into play. Yeah, yeah. I even see that within the little, I guess, domestic church or the little community of our family that um, we kind of gotten out of the habit for, for a while. We were reading books together at bedtime, and it was Narnia. I think we've been through Narnia one and a half times. My oldest has read oh, it wow. more times than I can count. Um, uh-huh. No, I took the whole read to your kids thing a little too seriously, and my oldest was two months old, and I was reading Magician's <laughs> Nephew to him on the couch. <laughs> like, I think maybe this is. It sounds like what is it? Mozart makes your baby smarter. It's like Narnia makes your your baby. Like none of my friends had babies yet. I was like, I don't know what to do. I'll I'll read you a story. I like (laughs) couldn't sit up yet, and I was like, here. Um, but it seems to have stuck. Um, but I see that you know we can we can say to each other, you're being such a marsh wiggle right now. Stop. You know, or um. I love that word. When it snows and snows and snows, we're like, it looks like Narnia outside. Mm. You know, there there are ways that. It has worked into even just our family's culture that mm-hmm. these are the stories that we've we've read together and sometimes the movies we watch. But for us, more often, it's books that we've read. And mm-hmm. I can see, you know, we're choosing them carefully because of the way they're going to shape our kids. Um, mm-hmm. And offline, I need to or maybe I'll ask you just right now some other myths that that I mean, I know some Greek and Roman myths, but my eight year old is super into myths right now. And I would love to have more to share with him. What were you, some of your favorites? Where else do we find these? I mean, the Greek and Roman ones, I think we know. Mm-hmm. Um but I'm not as familiar with ones from the other parts of the world. So short answer to that is <clears throat> you'll still have to pick the right sort of translation for how old the child is. Uh, because anywhere, myths were, were never created for children. They were part of, you know, very carefully thought out mystery religions and so on. So they're communicating very deep, um, dangerous, simple, difficult truths and then they're sort of gift wrapped in these sort of fanciful seeming stories uh, but then you get all, then you get fan fiction told by all kinds of other things but um so with that caveat uh sure. nordic mythology um is, you know so the stories of, of uh, thor and, and odin and and so on um those are a i mean not only do they play a big part in tolkien's uh, formation you know um there's a lot of beautiful and interesting stuff to be learned you know and and also it part it's part of the founding uh founding myths of um north european you know uh, culture um other ones that are probably going to be good to 
sort of just be aware of or on the radar is, um, well, I, Chinese. I loved reading Chinese mythology, uh, Japanese mythology, you know, African. And the funny thing about all of them is that because mythology is an expression of a people and their um, understanding of of religion and of God and of ritual and so on, uh, it's going to be very different. You know, you're, a myth is going to help you start to enter into the psyche of how a people think. Um, mm-hmm. Have you seen that movie um, Arrival? Mm-mm. No? Oh, it's re- it's amazing. If you're a kind of a sci-fi nerd, which totally am all, you know, two hands up I am, but <laughs> Arrival is this idea, and if, uh, uh, sort of spoiler alert, but it's this idea that these, these ships, uh, alien ships appear, and they just sort of appear out of nowhere, I think, and they just sort of stand there, and then they don't communicate or do anything. And they are just present, and they are massive, and they're kind of oblique and terrifying. And so these two linguists are tasked to make contact because the military is not having any luck, and they figure we don't even know what language they speak, so let's get the best and brightest sure. linguists to go and make contact. And so um, when they do, they, of course, find out that these aliens, who are these enigmatic, massive beings, of course don't speak English, um, this isn't Star Trek. And they have this completely strange form of communication. And so the whole movie is there's a countdown where the military just want to blow them away. And then there's the linguist trying to race against time to actually understand what is being communicated. Um, here's the cool thing. When they finally understand the language, and this is not really a spoiler. When they finally understand the language, what happens is they start to not only think like those aliens, those other beings, but they start to interact with reality in a different way. Not only do words take on different meaning, but our interaction with time and with each other starts to take on different meaning, and it changes them. And this is the same thing that happens when people go, and we start entering into the mind frames of other other cultures, is you start interacting with the world differently not just here's a new mental hat that i put on or a new pair of glasses oh yeah it's all pink it's like no you're you're changing your you know your being because these ideas are very powerful ideas watching that movie is such a great sense of here's how we should be thinking about sacred scriptures because it's the same kind of thing when we enter into or allow the sacred scriptures to enter into us we interact with the world differently, with time differently, with spirituality differently. We're no longer the same things. It changes us. And that's what stories do. And that's why I love storytelling. It's because stories are like these little engines of belief. Um, yeah. You take them in and you don't just sort of take them in like, oh, yeah, that was cool. It goes to work inside you. Yes. you know, And that can be a good thing and that can be a, a challenging you thing. You use it the right way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, and I think that's that's one of the reasons why uh, years back I remember seeing Jeff Cavins and his Bible timeline. Yes. And he was like, you know, most people don't understand the Bible because they don't understand the, the, the story, the whole point of it all. And so he wanted to help us get back to understanding that. And I remember thinking, man, we don't even know the point of the church or being Catholic. You know, that story is the story that helps make sense of sacred scripture and 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 the entire gospel, you know, of yeah. which sacred scripture is a part, you know, we don't even know that story. And right. the challenge there is it's a massive story. I mean, 
Tolkien tried to sort of retell it to us in the Silmarillion and and his whole legendarium, you know, and it's it's delightfully massive, you know, um, because we're dealing with the totality of the human experience, and that's not a simple thing, um, but it does. You do need to have have something, and I think that's where, as a church, we're trying to now figure that out. Is every area in the church has its own story, but the church as a whole, are we communicating that story clearly? Can we figure that part out? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so many, there's so many challenges and there's so much we have to learn. Um, yeah. And I also, I agree. I love that the Jeff Cavins um, Bible timeline blew my mind, changed mass, changed the way I look at so much. Um, we do have to wrap it up there. Sure. Um, but I'll send some links. Uh, I'm going to put some of those links in the show notes and you can bet I'm going to look for a rival from my library as soon as possible. Um, so right. thanks so much for spending some time with me today. It was really a good time. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Lindsay. Listeners, as always, to suggest a quote or a guest, follow the show on Instagram, quote me underscore podcast, or contact me at my website, lindsayschlegel.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show, leave a review wherever you find your podcast, and tell a friend. Until next time, God bless you. This episode is brought to you by Hallow, the number one Catholic app. Hallow has 1,000 audio-guided prayers and meditations for you to deepen your relationship with God. To listen to all of the Hallow meditations for free for 30 days, head to hallow.com breadbox.